Hi, this is David Ruprecht from Supermarket Sweep, and I want to remind you the next time you're at a checkout stand and you hear the beep, think of all the fun you could have on Supermarket Sweep. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by the boy Wonder, Robin of the classic Batman series, and real life canine crusader Burt Ward. It's very cool to have you here. Wowie Zowie, citizen. <laughs> yes, very good. Very good. So you're like a real life superhero now. Uh, well, I tell you, you know, uh, ever since the series, I've still been climbing the walls just for different reasons. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, well, I think once you get the hang of climbing the walls, you don't want to give up such a, such a unique gift. No, no. You know, uh, it, the series was a fantastic thing to do. Since the series, I've made like 7,000 personal appearances, 8.5 million autographs signed, uh, several movies of the week. Uh, mo- most recently, two, um, two movies, uh, feature uh, film animations with my voice uh, as Robin, of course, uh, and that was uh, Adam's voice as, as Batman while he was still with us. And in this last one, which was, uh, uh, we had William Shatner, okay, uh, play uh, Fall, uh, Two-Face. And, oh, nice. uh, yeah, so uh, it was, uh, it, we know it's great, you know. I mean, can you imagine the cast of Batman and Star Trek got to be the <laughs> two most iconic TV shows in history. Mm-hmm. So that's been a lot of fun. And uh, now I have coming up... Uh, I just uh, got word that uh, in about two months I'm going to be filming a uh, a guest appearance on Supergirl, mm-hmm. and it's actually this combination of Supergirl and Batwoman and the Arrow, and uh, it's uh, it's about this multiverse universe that uh, my character Robin's going to reappear, but it's in a, on a different Earth. And uh, it's a it's a it's a big thing. It's a, it's actually like being on five television shows. Uh, this is for uh, um, the WB network. Yeah. When I announced you're coming on. Yeah. When I announced you're coming on, everyone was asking about it because you know it, it broke at Comic Con, so uh, everyone's talking yep, about exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, coming up right after the first of the year, um, I'm uh, I'm getting my, finally uh, after 50 years I'm uh, getting my star on Hollywood Boulevard, so that's a great honor. Yeah, I'm thrilled about that. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you get Do you get any say of uh, whereabouts you get your star gets put? No, no, no. I'm yeah. just, uh, but I think what they're what they're trying to do, um, which is a cool idea, is to have mine uh, uh, next to Adam West. So mm-hmm. there you have the Batman and Robin together. Yeah, dynamic duo together again. Exactly. There you go. That's very cool. So, uh, what was it like then to do like the voice of Robin again? Uh, you know, uh, you know, so much, so so long after the series. Well, you know, the thing is, is that because of all the appearances and people asking me to say, you know, some Robin phrases or that, <laughs> right. and by the fact that you know, when actually I was hired, eleven hundred young actors were interviewed for the role. And when I was selected, the executive producer said to me, Bert, would you like to know why we selected you out of 1,100 young actors to play the part of Robin? I said, sure. He said, well, in our eyes, forgetting television and forgetting the TV series for a minute, 
if there really was a Robin, I mean like the real thing, we think you personally would be it. So we don't want you to, quote, act. We really just want you to be yourself, Burt Ward, and be enthusiastic, which is what I did for 120 episodes. So so uh, the Bert, the um, the Robin we see, was that really like uh, pretty much you? Exactly. So yeah. all of uh, and and the thing was because it was it was really a great opportunity for many reasons. Uh, one of the reasons was because they were so the producer was so involved with trying to make all these uh, effects work, these special effects and explosions and oh my god, all these contraptions and stuff on Batman that Adam and I were basically left to to do the lines the way we wanted to. I mean, other than being said, well, like, you know, this scene's in the Batcave or this one you're going to drive out at the end of your dialogue. I mean, other than that, we had the freedom to play our lines like we wanted them and uh, to, you know, to interact with each other. And, and Adam and I had a really special chemistry. We just got along amazingly together. We really were very good friends. And I understand, understood his sense of humor and he understood mine and it just worked out great. Yeah. And, and that's where part of the success of our show is the fact that, you know, we, we played off each other and we kind of taunted the audience. You know, we used to say that we put on the, uh, we put on our tights to put on the world. <laughs> and, um, and in fact, I'll tell you long after our series aired, um, two really big things happened in the movie industry that I think that we can uh, safely say that we were a big contribution to. One of them was the fact that look now, I mean, it seems like every four or five major films is a superhero film. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. So that's a really big thing. But there's something else. If you look in all the superhero films now, uh, particularly the Marvel films, you can have these, uh, you know, these, tremendous fighters and they're fighting off this tremendous, you know, villains and stuff and all that kind of stuff. But right in the middle of the most dangerous moments, they might have some comedy thing together or they say, well, I'm not sure I really want to be here. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. something that is funny, you know, that interrupts the seriousness of the moment. We created that on Batman and that's been picked up by every superhero film, you know, that they have mm -hmm. it some more, some less. That yeah. style, you know. So, uh, I mean, you even had it in the Bad Boys movies. You know, the Jerry mm -hmm. Bruckheimer Bad Boys movies. You know, they, I mean, there, there was. Uh, it, it's that. It's it's a it's a style. So um, we're really thrilled about that. And of course, working on Batman, I got to work with so many incredible, great actors and actresses. And I mean, these are people that I grew up with watching on television or in movie theaters. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a great honor to work with these people. It was a lot of fun to do yeah. that. And, it, you know, who wouldn't want to ride in the Batmobile? <laughs> who wouldn't want to climb walls, <clears throat> fight heinous villains? Mm -hmm. And in terms of fighting, a piece of trivia for your listeners is that um, <clears throat> Bruce Lee and I lived in the same complex. And we oh, knew wow. each other, separate of Batman. Mm -hmm. And uh, we used to uh, spar together. And uh, in fact, a, a piece of real trivia is the fact that, you know, Chris Bruce Lee became the most famous martial artist on cinema, you know, the world mm -hmm. has ever seen. But uh, his very first fight scene of his career on film 
was fighting me on Batman. Oh, really? And uh, that's pretty awesome, right? There was yeah. that was the um, Green Hornet segment. Mm-hmm. Actually, we had the same executive producer who produced. His name is William Dozier. He was he produced Batman, but he also you know uh, produced the Green Hornet. And as an introduction to to that series coming out in the fall, he had uh, you know uh, Bruce Lee and um, uh, Van Williams you know make an appearance as you know Cato in the Green Hornet on Batman. Mm-hmm. Well, what was he like, William Dozer? Very, uh, you you felt the power. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, he was, he had been a a vice president at. At, at you know CBS and a lot of those Hallmark you know Hall of Fame movies and movies of the week and stuff he had produced a whole bunch of those he was a very very sophisticated guy very savvy oh my gosh you know and um, he was uh, you know a little bit afraid of him you know what I mean I mean he just was a very powerful person but he was uh, he was nice to me you know and I remember when I first met him. Um, I actually, I, I I was selling real estate and going to uh, UCLA and studying acting at UCLA and also studying privately. And one of the I sold a house with my with my father's help to a, a famous producer at the time. His name was Saul David, and he sent me to this agent who said I can't get any work for the current actors. You know, the only reason I'm taking you is because this producer sent me to you, and I'm obligated. Don't expect to work for a year, and if you do, you'll get one sentence. Or something like that, one line, uh-huh. and which is not very encouraging. But I had uh, I had gotten a call from that agency a couple of weeks after going to meet them, and they said, "Hey, there's something over 20th Century Fox. Go on over there tomorrow." They didn't even know what it was. They didn't bother to tell me what it was. I don't even think they knew what it was. They just knew something was going on, and they certainly didn't figure it. I'd have a chance to get it. So I went over to 20th Century Fox the next afternoon. It was about 4:30 in the afternoon. I remember walking in and I met this casting director who asked me a couple of questions. And then he said, would you like to meet the executive producer? I said, sure. I mean, I figured everybody got to meet the executive producer. Well, that later on I found out that's not true, you know, but I didn't know that. So I just walked in and when I met Mr. Dozier, I said, hello, sir. And I looked him right in the eye and I shook his hand really firmly and I think he was caught off guard that anybody would be that forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and not in a bad way, but just like, you know, just not, not afraid, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, sadly, so many of these actors have been turned down so many times that their <laughs> egos, there's hardly anything left. So I can understand why they, they might be more timid than I was, but I just came in like a, like a bull in a China shop, you know? Yeah. And uh, he said to me, looked at me, he says, well, you know, you're kind of big for the part. I said, oh, but sir, I promise you I won't grow anymore. <laughs> he laughed. I mean, how are you going to stop from growing? Right. And uh, he said, would you like to do a screen test? I said, sure. Again, I figured everybody got to do a screen test. Well, that's not true either, but I didn't know that. So that, uh, he set that up, and it was after that screen test that six weeks went by, and four of the weeks that I had actually had the part, but the studio thought my agent told me I had the role and my agent thought the studio told me I had the role. So I was getting phone calls from the studio. Like, well, what's your shoe size? What's your hat size? Well, I don't wear a hat. Well, go get your head measured. And I said, why am I doing all this? You know what I mean? I don't even know if I got the part or not. 
but I'd had the role for four of the six weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, do you think that like your inexperience and actually helped you because, uh, you know, you just went in not knowing that, you know, a lot of times you don't get the role or, uh, you know, and you had, you had like I this think confidence. It was a great help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, if you look at my screen test, which you can see online, mm-hmm. I really got into it. You know what I mean? In other mm-hmm. words, like I wasn't like, Oh, I'm conscious. The camera's on me or anything like that. I just went right at Adam West as, as, you know, Bruce Wayne and as uh, Batman. And, you know, I just, I mean, just real intense, uh, you know, I'm kind of that way. Mm-hmm. And then when we shot the show, again, because of all those problems they had with effects and stuff like that, Adam and I just had a ball of a time. I mean, I created a lot of stuff like if you watch the show, I used to hit my one fist into my palm uh, when I would come to get in the Batmobile. Sometimes I'd jump over the door to get in or jump over the door to get out. Or sometimes when, when uh, before I, I got out, I'd stand up and walk along the door on the back fin that I didn't realize the people from Barris Custom who built it were having heart attacks in the back of the set watching <laughs> me walk on their delicate, you know, fins. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, everything just worked. It was natural. And people loved it. And yeah. Adam had the most amazing sense of humor. Oh, my God, what a funny guy. He could take any single thing that he said, and he could say it in such a way as to make your eyes open up. You know what I mean? Cause <laughs> right. He had, he had a double meanings like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that's part of the why the, the show has like such a broad appeal because it works for kids, you know, just as a superhero show, as a fun show. And then like, if you're older, you get like all the innuendo and that you guys are kind of in on the joke and there's more to it depending on your age. Exactly. But actually there's, we looked at it as though there's three segments, the, the kids for the hero worship, you know, mm-hmm. uh, secondly, the older adults for the nostalgia of the comic book. Mm-hmm. They were had read comic books when they were growing up, and then that hard to reach teenage college kid audience that in the '60s nobody wanted to be inside watching television. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. wanted to be outside cruising these outdoor, uh, you know, hamburger joints on a Friday and Saturday night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Re- you know, revving up their car motors, and so for us to be able to pull them in, and again, it was that with that campy style double meanings it was almost uh irreverent you know the way that we did stuff but it was never really bad but it, it did have very suggestive stuff yeah. and the kids just loved that i mean they just you know and uh of course we had a little problem with the sensors in those days they had sensors i mean i'm not sure they still don't have them but everything is so loose today that you can just about get away with anything but <laughs> yeah. those days you couldn't get away with anything and let me tell you boy Every week we're getting yelled at, you know, you can't say this, you can't do that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Were you ever surprised by anything that like flew under the radar? Like maybe they just didn't get like the double meaning? Um, no, because I knew Adam and I knew <laughs> what a mind, I don't want to say a twisted mind, but sure. a, a, an extremely flexible mind that he had that he could come up with real winners. Oh, I knew it. Listen, we've made appearances on weekends together. And I mean, even on sometimes on Saturdays, you know, even after working a whole week, we'd go out and play tennis on a Saturday and 
I mean, we really had a friendship, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and honestly, you could put the two of us together. And if we didn't say a word within, I'm telling you like 20 seconds, anybody around us would start laughing because there was this, this opposites, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's He's very dry and very, very suave. And he kind of thought of himself like, uh, uh, Oh, I don't know. You know, some great political leader or something like Winston Churchill or, I mean, he just had these ideas of grandeur. And I was like this kid that talked fast and he talked slow, you know, he'd go, mm-hmm. yes, Robin. <laughs> and he'd hold his, his lines. He was very smart. He realized it was only a 30 minute show. And if he could talk very slowly, <laughs> most of that 30 minute show, that camera would have to be on him. And then the, the directors say, Adam, you can say it faster. This is not a, you know, two hour miniseries. This is a half hour television show. We got to move. You know, and they, that's why they call it moving pictures. You know? uh, yeah. So uh, did, was it ever hard to, uh, to keep a straight face? Yes, it was. But when you have a twisted mind like Adam had <laughs> and, it was, and the comedy, we used to, I mean, the thing is, before we ever did a scene, okay, he, 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 he and I would look at each other and we'd, we'd go too far in a rehearsal. Mm-hmm. We, you know, oh, my, you couldn't go. And then we'd have to tone it down. I mean, and it's so funny because Adam, I guess maybe because he was so dignified, right, that he could do anything extreme or whatever and not get in trouble. But me, oh, I'd get in trouble if I did anything too wild. And he'd say, calm it down, Bert, calm it down, you know. <laughs> and But we did. We, we, oh, we had the most suggestive stuff in the – and, uh, you know, uh, I'll give you one scene example. It's uh, Batman and Robin in the Batmobile. And we had just brought Batgirl, this is third season, mm-hmm. to see the Batcave. And we'd had to, you know, kind of, so she wouldn't know where we our cave was located. We had to knock her out with this uh, whiff of bat gas. And then uh, she woke up inside the Batcave. And then when we leave, we had to, you know, again, temporarily uh, knock her out. So she wouldn't remember or, or know where we, you know, were. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting in the Batmobile and, and uh, this is, we, you know, just gave her this whiff of bat gas and now she kind of slumps down and I have the line and it's very short, just like a couple of words for each of us. I said, uh, said to Batman, gosh, Batman, you know, Batgirl is very pretty. And Batman's line was something like, well, I'm glad you noticed Robin you know, that, uh, you know, you're growing up or something, right? Something Uh mundane. Well, Adam went through all these takes, missing the takes. And that wasn't like him. I mean, he might make a mistake once in a while, but, you know, after two or three takes, we always got it. But he was over, I think it was 11 or 12 takes that he messed up, okay? And I I sensed there's something had to be wrong. You know what I mean? Why would he keep making this mistake? And, and what happens, because they're all on a time budget, and money is just the costs are astronomical with 80 guys on the crew, you know, uh, you know just oh, incredibly expensive to make the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, the director was starting to panic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was getting worried. And, and what Adam realized was that he could stretch this out to a point where the next take he would do, they'd be in such dire straits to move on, you know, to the next scene or something mm-hmm. that they might not notice 
what he said or did. Okay. You see what I mean? Now, yeah. This is all, you know, I planned it. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know at first. I mean, I kept saying, I don't understand. Maybe he's not feeling well. Maybe it's the heat of being in, because it's really hot in those costumes. And, and in those days, they had these giant arc lamps. I mean, they have what they call cool lights now, but mm-hmm. they had these giant things that you see like searchlights and they just, I mean, melt you. It's so hot. Anyway, so here it comes to like the 12th take and, uh, and, we ha- and here's the scene. This is the one that, that went to print and Batgirl's there and I say, gosh, Batman, you know, Batgirl's very, you know, very pretty. He says, I'm glad you noticed, Robin. It shows the oncoming thrust of manhood. <laughs> oh my God! My, I, I, I scared up. Tears are coming down the inside of my mask. I'm laughing. I'm trying not to show it. Right? And uh-huh. and the director. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. They just wanted to get the heck out of it. Cut! Cut! Let's move on. Guess what? When that show aired, the week, week after it aired, man, the, here come the censors in with their writing crops or whatever into the production studio and boy did we get help for that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah that's that a pretty awesome line yeah. crazy kind of you know what i mean it was just yeah. and it was just so bizarre and, and <laughs> that his style was so funny and so bizarre that it, it would catch people off guard and he was very funny everybody laughed when he did this stuff yeah, yeah, it's great because it works on a, a few levels. Like even if you didn't get the double meaning, like you said, it's just a bizarre line. Like who would speak like that? And then if you and if you're older and you do get it, then it, you know it's very funny on, a, on exactly. another level. Yeah. And, and, and let me give you another example. We're we're signing autographs and an appearance, and their lines are like I mean hundreds of people in line to get an autograph, and these two uh, teenage girls come up and. You know, they're like, oh, we're so excited to see Batman and Robin. And and Adam's got, you know, we're dressed as Batman and Robin at this appearance. And uh, uh, Adam, in, as Batman says, he says, I have a, an itch in my left ear. Could you scratch it, please? <laughs> like, what? I'm scratching the, the ear on the cowl, right? Yeah. So she kind of scratches that ear and he goes, you know, like as though he it, it just made him feel good. He says, you know, he says uh, that felt wonderful, and he says, and I'm beginning to feel strange stirrings in my utility belt. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so weird. And, just, and people get cross-eyed when they talk to him. You know, you don't know he, he catches people off guard. And and in fact, I used to laugh all the time because when he, I looked at him in his cowl, he was cross-eyed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he said that when I had my mask on, I looked like a raccoon. So, you know, we, the two of us, by the end of the day, uh, on these hot sets where you've had all this dialogue and you do it over and over and over sometimes, that we'd start giggling. And one of the directors came up to the two of us and says, you know, you got to stop laughing. You're going to laugh me right out of the show business. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we had a great time and everybody loved our stuff you know yeah it still holds up did um did uh did other celebrities right away want like um cameos and and parts in it or did that come like after it was on the air for a little bit no, not very long like maybe two shows we, we yeah. opened up with a 55 share meaning that of all the televisions on in north america that's Mexico, Canada, and the United States. 
mm-hmm. on the night our show premiered, 55% of all of the televisions that were on watched Batman. Yeah. And all of the other stations, local, regional, other networks, all of them shared the other 45%. Mm-hmm. It was, it was that, those are ratings that are bigger than Super Bowl. Yeah, and everybody. Oh, and I'll tell you who it was. These actors who had children, their kids were driving them nuts to be on. You got to be on <laughs> Batman. Got to be on Batman. So what happened was we only had so many villain roles, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you only have so many. You know, once a week. Uh, so that's when they created the extra scenes of going up the wall, walking up the wall, and op- a window would open, and there was Sammy Davis Jr. or um, you know, Lurch or Colonel Clink or, you know, <laughs> Dick Clark or Betty White and Don Ho. I mean, just, you know, just amazing how many wonderful actors and actresses yeah. wanted to be on our show. <laughs> and did they all like get it, get like, you know, uh, you know, the comedy of the show? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, you know, and, and because everything was just so, you know, bigger than life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, even in the first episode when when Batman went into this uh, discotheque, you know what I mean? It was it was a it was a takeoff of the there's one in Hollywood, California called Whiskey a Go Go, and this was what a way to go go type of thing. And <laughs> uh-huh. he went in there and he's dressed as Batman, and there everybody's dancing and discotheque music and all of that. And a maker D comes up and says, so I get your ringside table, Batman. He says, no, I think I'll just stand at the bar. I shouldn't wish to attract attention. Right. <laughs> well, of course you can attract attention. <laughs> and, you know, and it was that kind of humor that made everybody realize this is a comedy. This may yeah. be, you know, taken seriously by kids, but this is a comedy. Mm-hmm. And, oh my God, the kid heart, the worship of, by kids of Batman and Robin, I, I can't even stress to you how amazing that was. It was just, you know, almost beyond anything you could imagine. I mean, uh, after all the thousands of appearances and, you know, millions of autographs I've signed, it just, there's, you know, everybody at some point always had, had, had a story of them growing up and their brother playing Batman and they played <laughs> Robin or, or that they thought maybe they might have turned out bad in life and but because of the moral stories that we had and really, you know, pure kind of, uh, you know, imagery that we put on that they turned out to be, you know, do better things in life. I mean, really, it affected a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I grew up, you know, a horror movie fan. I love like Dr. Fives and stuff. So uh, Vincent Price uh-huh. being on the show as Egghead is, you know, one of my favorite uh, of the uh, other villains that weren't on all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, I had seen him. I had seen him, um, you know, in a very frightening movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Raven. And uh, uh, I was a little intimidated when he came on the set, you know, to be honest with you. Uh, but after talking to him a few minutes, he was such a nice man, you know. Um, but uh, there, that, now there was a scene where he and Adam played a trick on me. OK, this was the, at the end of the egghead uh, two parter where there's a big fight scene. It's going to be a big egg, egg fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was which is so much fun throwing eggs. You know, here we are being paid to throw eggs. You know, it was just, it was wonderful. But in this scene, Batman comes to rescue me. He's got me like in a, a headlock, you know, with his, you know, arm around my, my, my head. And the, the way the dialogue goes with Batman bursts in, 
he breaks two eggs on my head and they start having a dialogue. Well, they thought they'd play a little joke on me. So one of them would mess up their lines and we have to do take two, you know, and I get two more <laughs> eggs broken on my head. Right. Uh-huh. And, and they went through like 12 takes. I mean, I had like 20 eggs broken on my head. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you something, even though you break an egg on your head, it, you know, one or two doesn't hurt. But by right. the time you get like more than a dozen, it hurts. <laughs> and I had <laughs> eggs going down, you know, my vest and my inside of my T-shirt and, and my underwear. And, you know, that's a real egg shampoo. Let me tell you. <laughs> right. So what happened was at the end, when, when I finally get loose, I'm supposed to pick up a half a dozen eggs and just throw them at Egghead. Well, I didn't. I was so furious. I picked up a whole dozen eggs. And I ran over, instead of throwing them at him, I smashed them on his egg so hard that his egg moved. Okay? <laughs> so for the rest of that scene, his egg was slightly tilted. <laughs> so, but but it, those are funny things that happen, you know, on the mm-hmm. set. And there was, you know, there's also a lot of danger. I mean, in those days, they weren't uh, as careful as they are today, you know, about making things and keeping actors safe. Yeah. Did, did you get any injuries uh, making Batman? I was went to the emergency hospital four out of the first five days. Oh wow! I didn't think I was going to survive the first episode <laughs> from second degree burns, two by four landing on my nose, breaking my nose. Oh my gosh! Cars that I had to be in a burning car that that blew up unexpectedly wasn't supposed to blow up. Oh, just I'm telling you. And the and the studio though they were very smart. After the first week, they took out this giant life insurance policy on me, okay? And I could swear by the end of the third season, they were trying to collect on that policy. <laughs> well, I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. But the, uh, yeah, I'm uh, glad I made it, too. Yeah. When you first saw the, the first time you see the finished show, and it's, you know, added together with the music and the kapow, you know, and, you know, and, and the tilted camera and everything, uh, what did you think? I was blown away. I was blown away. Uh, remember, as an actor, first of all, I was 20, 21 years of age. You know, I just turned 21, and I'm on a soundstage, a cold soundstage, and the closest person in age to me was Adam at 37, mm-hmm. and I'm 21, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody else on those crews are in the 50s and 60s because these are, you know, ultimate professionals in their craft. I mean, amazing professionals. So... And, and on a soundstage, you sit around and wait for 45 minutes on this cold soundstage, and then you work for a minute. Then you sit around and wait for another 45 minutes and work for 30 seconds. I mean, you do that all day long, and all you're seeing are pieces, little pieces, you know, uh, of, of dialogue. I mean, I don't think even a scene, you know, maybe a fight scene, but other than a fight scene, nothing lasted even a minute. They're all little tiny pieces and they get put together later on. But when I did see it on opening night, I did, I had never heard the music. I never knew about the pows and zaps over the fight scenes. Uh, I didn't know about, you know, a lot of this, all the graphics and the color and the, the, the angled uh, villains hideouts. I didn't know any of that stuff. And I, when I watched it, I said, gee, this is really good. Yeah. This is a really good show. And it became a monster hit. I mean, it was the number one and number two, because we were on twice a week, television show in the world. Number one and number two. Yeah. 
So f- over 50% of, the, you know, of America's watching it. How does that change your life then? You're on this big show and you have to be recognized all the time now. Uh, not really. Not really. Because really? remember, you as Robin, I wore a costume. That's right. Mm-hmm. I wore a mask. And then it, now I, at the beginning and end of every show, there was a Dick Grayson sequence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where I played the alternate identity of Robin. But uh, even so, even when I would go out years later and make personal appearances, you know, I could be signing autographs and, and people are like, you know, wanting to touch you and this and that and just, you know, talk to you and just all over you. And, and my appearance in, I go back, get, get dressed in my civilian clothes. I could walk out among the same people. Not one person would know it was me. Yeah. Because they're not expecting it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they're not looking for it. Mm-hmm. Did did you always enjoy talking about Batman? Like, has your view of the uh, of the show changed over time? Oh, not really. No, I mean, I had a really good time. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I was I I was I was always a very happy person. You know, yeah. and um, even in when I was in professional acting class, I remember one time there everybody had done scenes, and it was the end of the night, and everybody's leaving, and the the uh, coach had asked me to stay for a few minutes, and and uh, I didn't know if he was going to tell me I did something bad or what. But he said to me, you know, Bert, he says, every actor here, you know, you know, guys and girls, every one of them here wants so badly to be an actor or an actress. Okay. And, and I know that you want it, want it as well, but you're different from all the others. I said, well, I am. I thought that was a bad thing. Right. Mm-hmm. He said, he said, you know, I can look at you and see that, yes, you want it very much. But if somehow you don't get it, you're perfectly happy to go live your life. You know what I mean? Without yeah. I said, yeah. That's true, you know? And I think maybe because I didn't carry this burden or fear of rejection or whatever you want to call it, I just went in and had a great time. And people picked up on that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's why I got hired. Yeah. What were some of the uh, the veteran actors who played, you know, the, the the villains that were on so often, like Burgess Meredith and Frank Gorshin? What were they like? With, with, with Burgess Meredith, oh, terrific. Every mm-hmm. one of them was great. Burgess Meredith was the Penguin. Frank Gorshin was the Riddler. Cesar Romero was the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie Newmar was Catwoman. And then you had a lot of other great guests, you know, Joan yeah. Collins, the Siren, you know, uh, Tallulah Bankhead. For those people that are, you know, classic movie, you know, buffs from the, from the very beginning, I think of <laughs> of sound cinema. You know, she you know she played the Black Widow and George Raft, which was the uh, original bad guy kind of guy, and he was on that same uh, Tallulah Bankhead show, the Black Widow show. <laughs> I mean, these were great actors and actresses that, mm-hmm. you know, it was uh, it was very easy to be very impressed, you know. Um, Shelley Winters, uh, you know, just so many, so many great actors and actresses was, were on our show. Mm-hmm. Was, was filming the uh, movie any different than filming the TV show? Yes, because they allowed five weeks instead of five days. <laughs> right. so, so things were, you know, were a little bit, you know, more, I wouldn't say casual, but they certainly weren't insanely rushed like doing the series, you know, everything rush, 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 you know, in fact, there's a famous show business line, hurry up and wait. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, no, it it, it was fun though, because they took more time and 
the uh, the director, uh, and that was the the pilot show that we did it was actually like a movie. It was five weeks, mm. and all the rest of the it were five days, and uh, uh, wonderful wonderful director um, uh, that on that show that uh, actually is still alive, and I, I met him saw him again recently oh, really? after you know fifty years ago working with him. You know. Oh, it was, uh, it was it, it was cool. It was cool. You know, there's not yeah. many people left, but those that are, are pretty precious. Mm-hmm, definitely. Did you get to keep any of the props like a bat, you know, shark repellent can or anything like that? Uh, no, I got a battery. OK. Oh, nice. Cool. And I got one of my costumes. OK. Mm-hmm. Um, that was nice, too. So uh, it's uh, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, nobody knew at the time, but when they they tore down the bat cave i should have just said oh i'll take all of it <laughs> right. that became so valuable it was like a pet rock you could have <laughs> sold it for a thousand dollars for a little piece yeah exactly yeah yeah that's a very least you, you could be making a mint now on ebay yep in today's world <laughs> but it, you know and then in addition to all of that uh, you know my wife and i we we have an amazing wonderful life for the last mm-hmm. 25 years we have operated the largest giant breed dog rescue in the world called Gentle Giant. Yeah. Um, we rescued more than 15,500 dogs, every which one of which would have been put to death if we hadn't saved them. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, people say, well, I don't understand. You go from being an actor to a dog rescuer. I said, well, wait a minute. Think about this way. When we were doing Batman, we were rescuing the citizens of Gotham. <laughs> now we're rescuing, you know, canines. I, I like to say that I was the Cape Crusader, and now I am the Canine Crusader. That's perfect. So, uh, you know, and 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 it, it, it's been you know animals are very sweet, and all of these dogs, everyone that we we rescued would have been put to death. Mm-hmm. And uh, fifteen thousand five hundred twenty-five years of doing this, and all of these dogs, they're not on some lot or building or uh, yard. All of these dogs have lived in, in our house with my wife and I. Mm-hmm. All 15,500 over a 25-year period. And at any given time, we have at least 50 dogs in our house. Oh, wow. Primarily <laughs> giant breeds. We have some uh-huh. small breeds, but primarily the giant breeds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just imagine, you know, it's almost like, you know, Jungle Book or something, you know, <laughs> living with the uh, animals. Um, but in the course of, of doing this for 25 years, and if you think of it this way, if you go to the trouble of saving an animal's life, you certainly want it to live as long and as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. That my wife and I created our Gentle Giants dog food, which we consider our charity. We don't take any salary from. And uh, we've now uh, got dogs because of the way we design the food and our feeding and care program. We have dogs that were living seven to nine years living up to 27 and a half years. Wow, that's amazing. No one, to my knowledge in the world, has dogs living that long. Mm-hmm. And in fact, right now at our rescue, because um, we've adopted, you know, all of the younger dogs, now just about every dog we have here is somewhere between 10 to 25 or 26 years old. You know, I mean, uh, almost every dog has already lived twice its normal lifespan. Mm-hmm. And so we put out this, Food, which is different from every other dog food, and there's many reasons. It could take 
I could explain for hours why it's so much better than every other dog food. But the point is, is that we, because we don't take any salary from it and we sell it in mass merchandisers like Walmart and grocery stores, mm-hmm. that our uh, the cost of our food is actually less than half of the cost of a dog food that you would buy in a pet store that mm-hmm. won't keep your dog living for right. 27 years. So our motto with our Gentle Giants dog food has become half the price and twice the life. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty proud of that. And we have a website. I'd like to invite your listeners if they want to go see it, gentlegiantsdogfood.com. And right there at the very first thing you see if you go to gentlegiantsdogfood.com is a video of my wife and I in bed with 50 of <laughs> I the giant it. dogs. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. uh, and right under that is uh, the segment that I did with Ellen uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning of this year on January 2nd. Uh, Ellen had invited me very graciously to be on her show. She knows, uh, well, she's totally into rescue and animals, all kinds of animals. And mm-hmm. she knows how much my wife, Tracy, and I are into rescuing dogs and how much we care about animals. Mm-hmm. So uh, she invited me to be on her show. And I talked about our rescue and about our dog food. And actually, she's been feeding Gentle Giants dog food to her dogs for the last three and a half years. Mm-hmm. So uh, with great results. Yeah. So she just, you know, thought it would be a good thing to do since this is our charity and we love animals, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's worked out really amazing. So we're, we're thrilled. We also have a Facebook page, Gentle Giants Dog Food and Products. So again, any of your, you know, listeners that want to, you know, see what we're able to do and mm-hmm. read about it, hopefully if they have a dog and they want their dog to live up to 27 and a half years, that they'll, uh, you know, get our food and follow our feeding care program. And I, I tell everybody, you know, we're going to get you a cut a, a path through the forest for you. And if mm-hmm. you stay on that path, you can, no reason you can't get the same results that we've gotten. Yeah. Now, do you, do you remember the names of, do you name all the dogs when you have that many? Well, a lot, most of them, all, well, almost all of them come with names. Okay. Right. Except when they're from a shelter, then they don't always have a name. I mean, sometimes, They'll have a name that when they were turned in, it'll Mm -hmm. be written down. Now, I can remember most of the dogs we have here. Mm -hmm. My wife has what they call a visual memory. Mm -hmm. I don't know how she does it. It doesn't seem human. (laughs) Uh, But she can remember the names of all Uh 15,500. And it's one of these things where we don't, you don't know how anybody could do that. You know what I mean? You just, it's, it's just unbelievable. And people would come back. Maybe they got a dog from us. And then they come back like 10 or 15 years later to get another dog. Mm-hmm. And she'll say, oh, yeah, you drove up in that uh, blue Buick. Like, oh, my God. What, how, how can anybody know that? I don't even remember what color my car was. I mean, you know, it's just it's one of those amazing things. Now, now that's wonderful, but it's very difficult on a husband because she, she's like an elephant in the sense that she remembers all my faults. Right? right? There's no right. mercy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what, what was uh you said that you mostly uh large size dogs why is that is that just because they're harder well, for people well, to uh we, started, to we mm-hmm. when we moved no when we moved here we wanted to get um a large dog for our young daughter and great danes are they're called gentle giants because they are very very gentle my wife had had an irish wolfhound so we were looking for one or the other and we heard about these great danes that uh needed you know a home and they were living in people's houses 
So there wasn't immediate danger of having to go into a, a shelter or something where, you know, after a week or, or less than that, sometimes they get put to death. So uh, we, we took a couple of them and we felt that since all these others we heard about were still in people's homes that, you know, they'd get adopted and get a home. And it turned out that they didn't find homes and they went to shelters and they were all put to death. And it upset my wife so much because talking about it, a, an animal that is so gigantic and the bigger it is, the more gentle it is. Mm-hmm. And it was the first week in August of 1994 that I said to my wife, Tracy, I said, we can't let these dogs die. We got to do something. I said, how about just for a couple of weeks so we can find somebody else to do this? How about we rescue these dogs? No big deal. We've got five acres here and we got a big house and, you know, we can, we can handle it. Well, mm-hmm. by the end of the first month, we had 104 Great Danes here and 62 puppies under seven weeks of age that mm-hmm. my wife, who normally doesn't get very much sleep, was getting zero sleep because she'd have to you know, make sure that the mother nursing the puppies didn't get up and step on the puppies and you'd finish <laughs> one litter and have to go to the next litter. And, oh, my gosh, can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. and, and so, you know, here it's been 25 years. I'm still waiting for somebody to come rescue us. <laughs> And uh, Great Danes especially are, you know, um, don't live a long time. So that's, you know, amazing that uh, you help them years. live. Yeah. Right, right. Their traditional lifespan is seven to nine years. And the best we've gotten with them is 22 years. That's still triple their lifespan. That's still enormous. But yeah. what happened was, you see, we started with Great Danes. But then somebody would come to us and say, oh, I've got to give up my Great Dane. And thank you for taking them. Because if I take them to the shelter, they'll put them down. And, mm-hmm. and they say, and, and I say, oh, okay. And they say, and I say, oh, well, you got another dog there. I say, yeah, we're going to take him to the shelter. Uh, he's a, a mastiff, and he'll probably get put down. I said, well, well wait a minute, you know, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> right? I mean, if you save lives, you save lives, right? Right. So first thing you know, we were taking mastiffs, and then we we're taking Irish wolfhounds because they actually all the giants kind of come from the same background. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And. Uh, but then it got to smaller dogs and smaller dogs. And I think now my wife, Tracy, has redefined the term Great Dane. Okay? <laughs> Her definition of a Great Dane is, is if it has a tail and four legs, it must be a Great Dane. That <laughs> fits to me. Yeah. I like, you know I, I mean? my, my last dog was a Minpin, so it was a very small dog. But I did have oh, him for yeah. over... I had him for over 20 years. Uh, I had him f- when I was in wow, eighth grade. That's I had him, yeah, I had him from the eighth grade till into like uh, into my 30s, like 35 or so. So it was uh, well, now. Now, how much did he weigh? He was very small. Uh, probably only about I, I don't know offhand. Probably like eight pounds, five or eight pounds. He wasn't very big at all. Right. Well, yeah. Now, now the then that sounds about right because uh, in the case of like a Chihuahua, they weigh five and a half to six pounds. But one of the breeds we have here is called a Chinese crested. You know what that is? No. A Chinese crested is one of those hairless dogs with the tongue hanging out of their mouth. Okay. (laughs) And and the reason they have their tongue hanging out of their mouth is the same gene or missing gene that gives them missing hair, gives them missing teeth. And when they don't have enough teeth, the tongue is not held in the mouth and hangs out. And uh, really, you know, you you think about it, you might think they're not attractive and yet they're so cute. But these are, the ones we have are really tiny. I mean, 
we have these dogs that are one third the size of a chihuahua. Mm-hmm. I mean, a two pound dog as an adult, two <laughs> pounds, right? Uh-huh. And the same food, same gentle giant food that we feed our giant Great Danes, we mm-hmm. feed to these little two pounders because the kibbles are small. And, <laughs> and the same food that we feed to, and our food is for all ages and stuff. So we start puppies at three and a half weeks when we have a litter. Mm-hmm. Never breed, but we rescue litters sometimes mm-hmm. or pregnant mothers sometimes. But in any event, we start puppies at three and a half weeks and the same food that we feed to three and a half week old puppies, we feed to 25, 26 and 27 year old seniors because it's like pure nutrition, all quality, no extra fat, no grease on the outside coating like other dogs would say. Everything is like super nutrition Mm -hmm. and, and all the dogs do well on it. And, and uh, videos on our website of these dogs, like 20 or 30 of them eating at the same time, standing like cows, shoulder to shoulder without any arguing or fighting over the food. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's pretty, you know, we have trainers that call us, how could you possibly do that? Why, how come these dogs get along so well? Well, mm-hmm. with our food, dogs aren't hungry. They, and we teach dogs to self-regulate how much they eat. So mm-hmm. yeah, all of these things work together and it creates a very nurturing environment for these animals to live well beyond their normal lifespan. Mm-hmm. The, are, do the little dogs ever have a little bit of a Napoleon complex so bark at the big dogs because that's how my, oh, my dog bark. was Yeah. <laughs> well ours don't bark we don't allow barking here every okay. dog is taught not to bark unless they sense danger but mm-hmm. I will tell you this the bigger the dog the smaller it thinks it is <laughs> right. the smaller the dog the bigger it thinks it is uh-huh. and it's hilarious you know what yeah. I mean yeah, and, 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 and it's just, it, it's just so true. And, and, and these big ones, they, they just think they're babies. And one of, we had the largest dog in the world here. Um, his name was Avalanche. And I'm telling you, he came at you like an avalanche. <laughs> he weighed 305 pounds, stood on his hind legs, seven foot five, four inches taller than Shaquille O'Neal. And his favorite thing, if you were sitting down, He'd come up as though he's just standing next to you, and all of a sudden, he's sitting in your lap, and no one could ever get up. No one with 305 pounds of living flesh on their, on their, on their lap, nobody yeah. could ever get up. We always had to pull him off and help them get up, you know what I mean? And yeah. they were pretty well squashed by the time he got off of them. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I think that's great because I'm a big animal uh, lover myself, and uh, I'll have a link and everything on the website, gentlegiantsdogfood.com. I think that's a, a great thing that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, we love dogs, and, and you know, we also have um, a policy that we have free support. Um, our people call us about 1,100 people a week, either phone call or Facebook message or whatever, uh, and we help people for any issue. Uh, not just about about our food, but in general, and and people love the idea that that if they have a problem with their dog, a vet can't answer you know behavior problems and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and some of the vets are not most vets aren't even nutritionists because they only have one class in in veterinary school about nutrition, so they're not even nutritionists. They can be mm-hmm. great surgeons, but not nutritionists. So we help people of all aspects of caring for their dog, and people love it. And they mm-hmm. love the fact that we take the time to help them. Never a charge. It's all for charity. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you mind if I ask some questions that uh, people sent sure. in? A lot of people on the Facebook and stuff. And since stuff, some of the stuff we covered, so I'll skip some of that. Sure. But uh, uh, Renee Merced wants to know how gorgeous was Julie Newmar? Julie is uh, an amazing lady. Mm-hmm. She is very tall. I mean, she uh, was six, or she is six foot three. And when you put the four inch heels on her, she was six foot seven uh, when she oh, was wow. working on Batman. Yeah. Adam was six foot three or four, six foot four. And with his three inch heels on his bat boots, because they wanted him to look much bigger than me, he was six foot seven. Alan Napier, who played our butler, Alfred, was mm. six foot nine. Okay. <laughs> By the way, he had a dog that was even tinier than our Chinese crescent that could literally <laughs> curl up in the center of the palm of his hand without hanging over the fingers. That's how, that's how tiny that dog was. And he just loved yeah. that dog. So, uh, no, these were really big people. Um, in my case, uh, at 5'8", they wouldn't let me have any heels on my shoes. I had to have my shoes were flat, you know what I mean, again, to, to yeah. make me look smaller. And when I would go out and make appearances, a lot of times they'd say, oh, you're much bigger than I thought you were, you know what I mean? Yeah. But then when they saw Adam and how gigantic, and they said, oh, my gosh, they're, they're stunned, you know what I mean? They, they just don't think the, you know, the actors are as big as they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you covered uh, the Infinity Crisis. You brought that up. But AJ Zilla wants to know, uh, how were you approached to do the Infinity Crisis story? Okay, I have an agent. I got a phone call from the agent, and the um, the agent said um, uh, the producers of Supergirl want to know of your availability between September 30th and I think October 21st or something like that. And I said, "Oh, geez, well, I'm available." And then you know, he said, "Okay, I'll let him know." And then a couple of days later, they said, "Well, they want to make an offer for you to, you know, play a role." on this um, infinite earth thing, you know, crisis on infinite earth. And uh, it's involves five different television shows. It's, it's a uh, fat woman, super girl. Uh, it's, um, um, Oh, um, arrow, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's like two others. Yeah. Flash. Yeah. My wife, yeah. Me out that. <laughs> and black canary or something. Anyway, okay. So it, it's this a huge thing that Warner Brothers is, is you know, um, they have the rights to Batman and, and it's DC Comics and they're working with uh, these very talented producers. And uh, so I, you know, that's how it came about. I don't know yet what role I'm going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I would say, 85% of the stories that came out just said, you know, that they hadn't decided. They haven't, I don't even think they've written a role for <laughs> me yet. Yeah. Uh, but there's about 15% of the sites that say, oh, he's going to play Robin from mm-hmm. a different earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now I'm having to do sit-ups and push-ups and all those horrible <laughs> things to get uh-huh. back in shape. So I'll be able to get into that Robin costume if I have to. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, Matthew Stacy wants to know, what was it like working with Frank Zappa on your, uh, on your album or your music? Uh, oh, that's song. funny. Frank Zappa. Let me tell you something. All you had to do is take one look at him, all right? And <laughs> you, you, you just thought, oh, my God. And yet, this guy was such a brilliant musician. Oh, my goodness. He was he had gotten his uh, degree in music and maybe, I think, even a master's at Columbia uh, University. And 
just incredibly sharp, razor sharp. And yet he, you know, he dressed like he did with his hair like that. And he had a band called the Mothers of Invention. And these guys were, I mean, really weird looking. Oh, my God. And they would come out. They would play their music. Then they'd destroy things. They would just, if there was a couch, they'd destroy it or chairs. Then they'd break their instruments. I mean, I don't know how, I, I've just never seen anything like that. So here I am, like all American apple pie next to these guys. And it was just, you talk about the ultimate contrast. This was it. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's a good one. Let's see, uh, which I listened to the song earlier today uh, for the interview. Um, where was I here? Oh, it was, uh, a lot of people asked about uh, Green Hornet crossover, which uh, you brought up earlier. But uh, Jerry Chandler wants to know, uh, can you tell us about the scene where the tigers and the raw meat is being thrown at you? Oh, man, that was <laughs> that was really one of the scariest things I ever had happen. Um, it was a Catwoman show. Um, and Robin is, um, like, like on a plank only where you're tied up with your arms, you know, down at your sides, my head hanging over a plank. And it was one of these things with an hourglass type of thing where the sands of time are running out. If Batman wasn't going to rescue me. And I was kind of like dipping down closer to these three real Bengal tigers, not trained, not friendly. These were wild animals. And, uh, they, of course, they had to be kept in cages and they had whole security teams to handle them. And it was a really big deal. But mm-hmm. in any event, I didn't realize at the time that these cats can jump, jump up to 19 feet. And I was only 12 feet above them. All right. And what was interesting is the camera crew. Uh, well, actually, it was a cameraman, a director and, uh, and a camera assistant. They were... Uh, in a steel cage 10 feet above me. So they're 10 feet above me in a steel cage to protect them, right? (laughs) Uh And I got my arms tied at my side with my head hanging over this this plank. So um, the director says, okay, you know, let's film it. And, uh, and, and, you know, and uh, they had the, they said, you know, get their attention. So they had these um, handlers, wild animal handlers, and they have like uh, it's like a it's like a cane only it's bigger and and harder and they would hit these like sticks but they're hard not even a stick it's one, like a, it's hard like a branch and they would hit it against um, the, about right around where I was you know hanging off of and the cats would be looking up and stuff like that but and the director said cut 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 that's not enough I need to have real danger you know can you hang some meat over his head. And they hung meat over my head. And these tigers were jumping up at the meat. You understand? Yeah. And I, I'm pulling against my bonds really hard. I mean, they could have gotten me. And, uh-huh. and, and thank goodness they didn't. But afterwards, everybody was saying, oh, Bert, that was so realistic. You looked like you were really scared. Yeah. Well, what the heck? Of course I was scared. <laughs> I, I mean, you look at tigers jumping up at your face with uh-huh. these claws that are I mean, they're they're bigger than my waist. Their claws are just incredibly dangerous animals. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> crazy. Uh, Jeff Burr, uh, he wants to know uh, uh, about your agent in the 1970s, Andy King, and if you have any memories about appearing in Lafayette, Georgia, in 1977. Um, well, I I appeared. Well, put it this way, I did. I did like 
over 50 years of appearances. Yeah. But yeah. 25 of the years, I went to 300 cities a year for 25 years. Just mm-hmm. think, that's like ultimately living out of a suitcase. Mm-hmm. And in my book, I have a, uh, I have a chapter called The King and I, and uh, kind of taken off of the famous movie. But mm-hmm. this was uh, this man's name was Andy King, and he was a, a real character from Palestine, Texas, that, you know, a real country boy. But he was the ultimate salesman. He would go around and he'd live on the road and go from car dealer to to supermarket to, I don't know, uh, laundromat or whatever. And he'd go in and he'd get me booked almost every single day. In fact, I remember uh, one time I went out for 65 days and 64 of the 65 I worked. And and usually where I fly into the first city, the first people pick me up, I do the event. The next day, people 30 miles away come and get me and drive me back to their event. And then people that night from another 30 mile or 40 mile away city pick me. Oh my God. So, uh, but he was such a character. Oh my gosh. You know, and uh, he he meant well, but he was just um, he he, he kind of looked like one of those rolling tops where he's big at the bottom and gets thinner towards <laughs> the head, just right. the opposite of a bodybuilder. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, I'll tell you one funny story. It it it, it I was uh, I was signing autographs and he was there trying to help me that day. Okay. And I noticed the people and he was like at the end of the line because he was uh, selling photos. And in those days, it was photo. If you wanted a photo of me, it was 50 cents. Okay. Right. 50 cents. Right? Mm-hmm. The price has gone up a little bit. All right. <laughs> anyway, he's at the end of this line and people are coming up with their photographs. And I noticed that they are laughing really hard. You know, I mean, not loudly, but you know, when somebody's trying to control their laughter and it looks like they've been laughing so hard that they're hurting from laughing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's like I, I started to say, oh, my God, is there something hanging out of my clothes? Oh, my God. What is this? Why are these people? That's too hard to be laughing. That's not like somebody just told them a little joke. These people are like doubled up laughing, and they're trying to control it. And there are tears in their eyes. I couldn't figure out what it was. And, oh, my. By the time the line had dwindled down, Andy, my manager, had come up towards the back of the line. Now he was within about six or eight feet of me. And I looked up and I saw, well, you see, he, he didn't have any hair on the top of his head. And he had these big bushy on either side, you know what I mean, over his ears, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. And, but he had gone out and bought a toupee. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, whoever sold him that toupee, I mean, sold him a toupee that was about one-third the size of what it should have been. Okay, so that toupee on his head looked like an island in the Pacific. I mean, it was just, it, you know, and the thing is, I don't know what it was. He it must have sprayed it with hairspray. But here he is trying to sell autographs, photos of me, mm-hmm. and this toupee, this little tiny thing on the top of his head, and it was hard as a rock, and it was sticking off, uh, off the top of his head to one side. It looked mm-hmm. like it was glued to the head. And people were crying. They were laughing so hard. And I saw it, and i like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And me, yeah, you couldn't help but laugh. So, But he was a character, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and he was like out of a movie, but, but he was an amazing agent. He would go out there, and 
he would talk and talk and talk until finally everybody would say, okay, all right, all right, I'll sign up. I'll, I'll take Bert. I just, <laughs> please, let me have peace and quiet. Go somewhere else, please. I'm signing it now, you know. <laughs> and, and I mean, he just wears victims down, you know. And, 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 uh, but, but he used to book me all the time and it was great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, it was, the appearance was great and the people were always nice. Always had a good time and they were happy because it did, it drew a lot of people to their, you know, but I stayed in a lot of small little towns too. You know what I mean? These mm-hmm. little tiny towns. I remember one time that I was staying in a, the only place in town to stay was a motel. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was an outdoor uh, washing machine and dryer. And, uh, you know, because I want to be able to wash my clothes, um, I, uh, I was using that. And I went back in and was reading and come back like a half an hour later. And there are my T-shirt and underwear and stuff on top of this washing machine. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I hadn't taken them out. And then I said, why are they, un-? you know what I mean? Why, mm-hmm. why, what happened? And a little kid rides up on a bicycle and says, are, are you Robin? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm Robin. And he says, oh, and, and I said, you know what happened? To, why my clothes are on top of this washing machine? He said, oh, yeah, these people came by and heard that you were staying here. So they wanted to have a picture of your clothes. So they took your clothes out of the washing machine and put them on top <laughs> and took photos of them. <laughs> I, mean, I love it. It's just. Oh, I mean, it, it is it, it is so real, and it's just kind of you know, mm-hmm. open way. I mean, so those are the kinds, and those were great times. Look, I had a great time doing some of that stuff too. You know yeah. what I mean? You, yeah. you just uh, it, it was a different world, and you travel from. I mean, I also remember some scary times. I tell you a real quick story, where mm-hmm. um, this is down in Arkansas, and these people that I were working for said, "Look, you know, you come stay at our house for the couple of days you're here." for, you know, our car dealership, stay at our house and we've got a bedroom and everything for you. So uh, I got there the, the night before and it was pouring down rain and they said they were going out to take care of some stuff. And they said, you know, and I said, well, wait a minute, you know, I heard that there's really bad weather. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. And, you know, nothing. Yeah. You, you know, you have tornadoes and stuff around here, but you know, nobody takes it seriously. I said, well, I take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and, 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 and uh, I said, well, do you have a radio? I want to be able to hear a radio in case, you know, they, and I said, do you have a, do you have a shelter? Oh yeah, we got a shelter. That's so great. Can I see it? So they take me to this shelter where you open up the top and you go down these stairs. I mean, you're underground and it would protect you from a tornado that came by and, you know, just level everything off. You'd be safe because you're underground, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, the people leave and I'm listening to the radio and they say, oh, tornado warning. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. then like half an hour later, a tornado has landed. And so and so like, oh, my God. Or I, I got to get out of here, right? So mm-hmm. I run out of the house and I go down into this, you know, the shelter, right? Underground shelter. And I'm listening to the radio and they say, and, oh, we just have noticed that there are now flash floods. So I say to myself, wait a minute. <laughs> If I stay underground here, I'm going to dry out from the flash flood. If I go back to the house, I'm going to get wiped out by the tornado. You know, what do you do? Uh It's like, if you're not used to that kind of weather, you you know, a person can get really, you know, pretty upset. (laughs) Now, granted, on the other hand, out here, we have a thing called earthquakes, you know. Right. Which we've had a few of them lately. 
Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, when my wife first moved out here, we had a giant earthquake. And, you know, she said to me, you know, Bert, when I flew out to marry you, you promised you'd make the earth shake for me. But this is not exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> That's very cute. <laughs> so, so anyway, we, we all have fun. And, you know, I love doing this stuff. And I, I enjoy meeting the people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I... I, I you know, I'll tell you, we love caring for the dogs. And all of this is, uh, you know, makes for, a, you know, a pretty fulfilled and happy life. That's very good. And you can tell that talking to you. You seem uh, genuinely happy about all this. And I appreciate that. Well, you know, I also have a philosophy and I tell everybody the same thing. The first hundred years are the hardest. After <laughs> that, it's pretty smooth sailing. <laughs> that's, that's a good motto to live by. <laughs> So, uh, gentlegiantdogfood.com, and you can get it at Walmart. Yes. And, um, yes, and many other stores and online, walmart.com, uh, chewy.com, jet.com, tractorsupply.com, petsmart.com, groupon.com, and our own website, gentlegiantsdogfood.com. And what's nice about this is that anybody that loves their dog and really would like to have their dog live an incredibly healthy, active life, you know, a, what, with a wonderful quality of life, you know, mm-hmm. they really ought to try this because it can add five or 10 years to their dog's life. And I'll tell you something, the only complaint I've ever gotten is that some people great every so often, you know, somebody will say something like, well, you know, you're, you and your wife are so into dogs. That's all you care about. All you want to do <laughs> is help dogs live longer and healthier. Why don't you do something for humans? They say, and I say, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute here. If I help you keep your dog living an extra five or 10 years longer, don't you think I've done something for you too? And they go, oh, well, yeah, I guess so. I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, because uh, that's one of them. We're really into the saving dogs' lives. I mean, this yeah. is our life's work. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, the worst things when you lose a pet and to have those, uh, you know, extra 10 years uh, with a pet that's invaluable. I, our own daughter grew up and she's had. She's had her dog for more than 20 some odd years, Mm -hmm. you know, and what a great thing for a kid to grow up with the same friend that they had. Whereas in most cases, that's not the way it is. With most cases, they get a dog for their child and their child is 10 or 11. And all of a sudden dog is eight or nine and something happens and dog is gone. And now you're explaining death to a 10 or 12 year old child. Doesn't have to be that way. Doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really think that's great what you're doing. And uh, I'm very proud of you, uh, star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, coming up in January. Thank you. That's uh, very amazing. excited about that. You know, it's 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 cool. You know, now it's only been 50 years, and I tell people <laughs> I'm a patient guy. Okay, uh-huh. but 50 years is kind of pushing it, don't you think? The patient <laughs> mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's very well deserved, and uh, and and I hope to. I look forward to seeing you on. Um, on the different, uh, I believe they're called the Arrowverse. All yeah, the different it's, a, it's a crisis on infinite Earth, and all mm-hmm. I know is that it'll probably my segment will probably air after the first of the year. But it's somehow tied to these five different television shows, and I don't know how they're going to do it, but I'm sure the the studio and the producers have got it figured out. Yeah, that's very cool, and I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk with you. Well, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed. And, you asked a lot of great questions and you know, it's, it's fun. It's, it's good to, to, to reach out to people because you know, a lot of actors don't do that and people mm-hmm. wonder, you know, uh, why are they not so open to the public? And, you know, 
my wife and I, we've always been kind of like, you know, we don't think of ourselves as anything different than just like everybody else. It's very good. And it comes through. Come a genuine guy. All right, my friend. Well, thank you, sir, for this wonderful interview. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And have a good night. I will say to the Batmobile. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Uh, Have a good night. I really appreciate this. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. opportunity to catch up on my fan mail. Even as a boy wonder, it's really hard to read all the tons of mail I get. Here is a happy letter from someone just about your age. Dear, cute, wonderful, fabulous, magnificent, exquisite boy wonder, a cold chill runs up my spine every time I see you sock a villain. And oh, how I cry when you're even scratched. Please don't send me a mimeograph copy of interesting facts about you. I want your handwriting. I have a whole wall of my room dedicated to you. Oh boy, wonder, I'm making a gum wrapper chain to symbolize my love for you. It's going to be as long as I am tall. Five foot ten inches in stocking feet. Please, boy wonder, please come next Saturday and sleep for a week or two. I will feed you breakfast in bed. I will make your bed for you. And I like you so much that I want you to spend the whole summer with me. I hope you know this is a girl writing. 